You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Uh, If you have your uh, Bibles or using the Pew Bibles, open up to uh, Luke chapter 11 uh, this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 11 uh, is where we're going to be at. We're going to be in verses 1 to 13 uh, this morning. We're going to read it as we go through. And so uh, as you're opening up to uh, Luke, uh, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father God, uh, once again, we are grateful and thankful for this day, the opportunity that we can worship you by sitting under the authority of your word and learning. And Lord, this morning we finish up a little series on prayer. And I pray that You would speak to us. I pray that You would teach us. I pray that You would equip us. I pray that You would enable us to be a people, a church of deep-rooted prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would do that work in us because it is a prayer that Jesus would have for us. And I ask this in His name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, ooh, that was good. That was good. Uh, good to see you all this morning. Pray you're doing well. Uh, years ago, when the church purchased a new parsonage, uh, I forget when that was. That was before COVID, so I actually have no idea when that was. You, some of you can relate. If it happened before COVID, you, you don't know when that was. But uh, when we got that new house over there, uh, there was a lot of work that needed to be done over there. Um, there was a lot of things. We had to get trash out of, uh, there's actually a coal room uh, in the basement over there that still has coal in it. And so what they did was they actually just threw uh, garbage bags filled with garbage in there. And so we had to get those out. Uh, we had to clean the attic. Uh, we had to uh, rip up the carpet. I still have pictures. Uh, it was a lovely green carpet they had downstairs. And I say that sarcastically. With a throw rug on top of the carpet, but then they nailed, uh, literally nailed, the throw rug to the carpet down into the wood floor underneath. And so we had to, we had to pull all that out. And so there was a lot of work that we had to do over there before. Before uh, we moved in, we had to fix ceilings. Uh, we almost lost Joe Kaminsky because the ceiling fell on him. Uh, I laughed only after I found out that he was okay. Um, but, uh, you know, things along those lines happen. But some of you uh, know the worst of my pain, and you've heard this before. Uh, the worst of all of it was the wallpaper. The wallpaper, I still have nightmares about the wallpaper. Uh, I would work. And then I would spend four to five hours a day over there. Uh, there was wallpaper everywhere. Every, everywhere. Like, I'm not kidding. Everywhere. On the walls, on the ceiling, in the bathroom. Uh, wallpaper absolutely everywhere, going up the steps. In some rooms, there was two layers of wallpaper, right? There's wallpaper everywhere, right? And so if you ever go to get a house and want to put wallpaper in, don't do it. Like, just, just don't do it, right? It, 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 it's bad. Uh, there's still some areas where there's wallpaper. Uh, some of them are ceilings, but I don't want to take the wallpaper down because I think it's holding up the ceiling. Uh, but it still bothers me. But to take that down was an absolute nightmare. Because I don't know if you've ever taken wallpaper down. Um, you scrape the wallpaper, at least in my case, you scrape the wallpaper and you get the paper off, but then all the glue still remains on the wall. 
And so you can't do anything because you have to get the glue off the wall. And so I would scrape it and then scrape it and then scrape it and nothing. And so then I went, oh, they have this handy dandy tool that you can put in your palm of your hand and you roll across it and it puts all these little holes in the wallpaper, right? That did nothing, right? And so I did that and then they have this spray that you can buy that you can put the holes in the wallpaper, then spray it, let it sit for a minute, then scrape it off and it'll just come all off. No, that didn't work either, right? That didn't work at all. And then I, I went to where every guy does when he is completely lost. I went to the internet, right? And, out, and after talking to my mom. And so we came up with some mixtures of vinegar and water and uh, like Dawn dish detergent soap and warm water and all those stuff. It works great on the internet. It works great. It's kind of, you can do it at home. Doesn't work at all. Right? It just made it smell better, right? That's about it, right? So nothing was working. And so I sat there, I'm frustrated because this was like unending, like unending. I'm like, Lord, there has to be a better way to do this. Have you ever been in that spot where you, you got to do something, but you don't know how to do it, and you know there's a better way to do it? And then finally, it was like the heavens opened up, and this ray, this golden sunbeam came down, and the angels are singing. I'm not going to try to sing, Morgan, don't worry. Right? Like, uh, you know those moments, right? And they go, use a steamer. I'm like, what? Use a steamer. You get this attachment, it's a little square. You put out a steamer and you hold it on the wall for like 30 seconds. You take it off and you go like that and everything falls off. It was the most amazing thing, right? I don't think there's been a better invention, right? It still took me forever because of the amount of wallpaper, but it came right off. It was absolutely amazing. But I sat there going, how do I do this? You have been there in that place in your life, maybe not with wallpaper, but with something else, where you just did not know how to do it. And it was kind of frustrating. And maybe you wanted to give up. Prayer is the same way. Prayer is one of those things that at times we struggle with. You look at prayer and you go, how do I pray? What's the right way to pray? Do I pray out loud? Do I pray silently? Do I pray sitting down? Do I pray standing up? Do I pray laying on my face? Do I pray walking? Do I have to pray with my eyes closed and my hands folded? Do I have to pray like that? Do I have to pray for a long time or a short time? Do I have to pray using big words or little words? And there's all these different things going on when it's about prayer. Prayer is like that, but it doesn't need to be like that. Over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about what prayer is and why prayer is vital. Last week, we looked at the man of prayer, Jesus, and we gleaned from him some ways to watch and pray. But this morning, as we finish up our three-week look at prayer, I want to talk to you about how to pray. That's it. How to pray. Because I don't want you to get frustrated and not pray. Part of my job is to equip you. Paul tells us that in Ephesians, that a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so part of my job is to equip you. And so I want to equip you this morning by helping you to know how to pray. So I want you to listen on this. I'm going to tell you how to pray. One sentence. Ready? Don't focus on the how. Focus on the who. Don't focus on the how, but focus on the who. If you can get that and grab hold of that, it's going to help you to pray. So... How many of you want a present this morning? Right? 
Some of you, some of you not. I have a one-point sermon for you this morning. All right? Bob, don't cheer. It has five sub-points. Okay? But it's still a one-point sermon. Don't get used to it, but we got a one-point sermon this morning. And all that is, is how do I pray? It's all we're looking about. Now, I have five points underneath it, so depending on how you look at it, it's a five-point sermon or it's a one-point sermon with five sub-points. But we're going to do this. How do I pray? That's the point. Only thing we're looking at this morning. And I have more things I cut out of the message than we have in it, but I want you to see this and I want you to remember that statement I just gave you. Don't focus on the how, but focus on the who. Now, the talk on prayer as a pastor is very difficult in some ways. I mentioned two weeks ago, oftentimes it brings a sense of guilt with it. I don't pray enough. And the pastor is going to make me feel guilty. We talked about that two weeks ago. If you weren't here two weeks ago, you don't need to be, feel guilty because we all put it out in the open. None of us pray like we ought to or, or enough like we should. So we're all good. We're all in the same boat. The other reason it's difficult to preach or to teach on prayer is this. Ready? And you don't have to raise your hand for this if you don't want to. But when a pastor preaches on prayer, many of you go, I know what he's going to say. Did any of you say that in your minds this morning when I said, we're going to talk about how do I pray? Did any of you go, I think I have an idea what he's going to say this morning. Did anybody say it? Kobe did it, right? I used to do that with Reverend Carroll when I was sitting with Reverend Carroll preaching. And he'd come up with the sermon. i go, I think I know where he's going. You, that's where the difficulty in prayer comes from. Because oftentimes when somebody stands up to teach you about prayer and how to pray, it's usually the same things. And so you hear the same things over and over again. And while that is good and true and right because it's biblical and we don't do those things oftentimes, it's actually a little bit difficult for me to keep you engaged for a certain number of minutes and for you to grab hold of something that maybe will help you in your prayer lives. And so I prayed a lot about this, and I have five things for you. Some of them you may know. Some of you may not know as much. And so we're just going to jump into it. So how do you and I pray? Well, Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be here, this, here the whole morning. Luke chapter 11, we read this. Verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So that's where we start this morning. We read, one day Jesus was praying. And if you were with us last week, that shouldn't be a surprise to you because last week you saw that Jesus, his whole ministry, his whole life was marked by prayer. He's always praying. So Jesus is praying in a certain place. And when Jesus was done praying, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so what's taking place here? Really simple to find out. Jesus is praying. And when he's done, they ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Because I told you last week, showed you last week, that Jesus taught people to pray by him praying that he modeled prayer in and through his prayers. And so his disciples come up to him and go, Lord, we, we really want to pray. Will you teach us like John did with his followers? And this is John the Baptist. And we don't know what John did or taught to his followers, but we know that he did something. He taught them something. Now, this is important. The disciples of Jesus were who? Were they Jewish or Gentile? Oh, we're, I'm waiting on this one. If you don't know the answer to this, we're going to be here all morning, okay? The, the disciples of Jesus, Jewish or Gentiles? Jewish. All right, good. All right, there we go. All right? 
They were Jewish. Why does that matter? In a lot of ways it matters, but for this one particularly, because they were Jewish, they knew what prayer was. They grew up in an atmosphere of prayer. They were taught to pray. Some of them maybe even had to memorize like books of the Old Testament, depending on the Jewish family and, and what you're doing. So they knew what prayer was, and they have prayed to the God of the Bible before. So this isn't somebody that has no idea what prayer is, coming to Jesus going, can you teach me to pray? These are men, grown men, that have had a history of prayer, that have been taught how to pray, and they come to Jesus, go teach us to pray. Why is that? Because in the prayer life of Jesus, they saw something that they'd never seen before in prayer. They saw a love and a desire and a passion and a fire, a closeness and an intimacy in the prayer life of Jesus with the Father that they hadn't experienced before in their lives. They're like, I want that. Your prayer is different than ours. There's a reality to your prayer. There's a life to your prayer with the Father Jesus. Can you teach us to pray like you do? And what I find amazing is this. Do you know that this is the only time in the Scriptures that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something? The disciples never come to Jesus and go, can you teach us to preach? They never go, can you teach us how to heal? They never come before Jesus and go, can you teach us to walk on water? Can you teach us to feed thousands of people with, with, with a little tiny lunch? Can you teach us how to plant a church? They don't even come to Jesus and go, Jesus, can you teach us how to evangelize? They don't ask that question to Jesus, at least that we have recorded. The only thing they come to Jesus and ask Him to teach them to do, that we have recorded, is for them to pray. Or teach us to pray. Why is that? Because when you have prayer right, and you are a man and woman of deep-seated prayer, Everything else follows. Everything else follows from that. It comes from prayer. Okay, pastor, so what does Jesus tell them? What does Jesus teach them about how to pray? So what's number one? Well, I already showed you the first thing. We already read it. The first step on how to pray is already on the screen. Let's go back to it. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. Notice what they asked Jesus. They go, Lord, will you teach us to pray? They don't go teach us how to pray. They teach us to pray. And you're like, Pastor, why does that matter? Well, the reason it matters is that word to, T-O, it implies action. It implies actually doing something. How many of you have ever known somebody, or maybe you are the person, you have the knowledge to do something, but you never do it? Yep. They're not asking to have the knowledge how to pray. They want to actually pray. And so how do you and I pray? Well, number one on the list is this. You pray. How do I pray? You pray. You actually do it. 
You don't think about praying. You don't study how to pray. You don't set a time to pray. Those are all good things. But we all know if we just think about something, we research something and we never do it, it doesn't matter. We actually have to pray. And the first way you and I pray is by praying. That we just do. We just start talking to God, conversing with God. Remember, focus on the who, not the how. Just talk to God. I have talked with people over the years and I could see on their, the fear on their face that they're afraid to pray. And because they're afraid to pray, they don't do it. They don't want to mess it up. There's people that they don't want to pray because they think if they say something wrong, a nuclear bomb is going to come out of a barn in Nebraska and land somewhere and blow something up. That's not going to happen. Right? Not going to happen. But we're afraid. Ready? How do I pray? Pray. Do it. Just, just talk to God. Some of you are not praying. You're not. And there could be a host of reasons why. You're just not praying. You need to be praying. And here's why. You learn to pray by praying. Eli, if you don't know, is my youngest. He's eight. Uh, he's in his second year of coach pitch baseball, right? And he does pretty good, right? Uh, but last year, he couldn't catch, he couldn't throw. Like, he'd throw the ball and be like, over here and over there and like all over the place. So this past week, Josiah was at football practice, and so I finally got to play catch with just him, uh, just Eli and I. It's usually the three of us, right? And so Eli and I are in the yard, and we're, we're playing catch, and Eli's just throwing the ball right to me. Like, I don't even have to move a lot of times. This is great because I'm getting old, and I can't move, right? And so he's throwing the ball right to me, and I'm throwing him the ball, and he's catching, and he's gotten so much better. You want to know how he improved that playing baseball? Practice. By playing baseball. That's how you get better at prayer. You pray. I've told Eli over and over and over again, you get better by doing it. You learn it. You know it better the more you play baseball. Same thing with prayer. Learning to pray is not hard. It just takes you praying. And if you want to go one step farther, ask Jesus to teach you to pray in your prayers. Have you ever asked Jesus do that? I never got to hear Amy's grandfather preach. If you, if you don't know, Amy's grandfather was a pastor his whole life. And for what I have heard from other people is he would often, many times, start his prayers with this verse, Lord, teach us to pray. How do you pray? You pray. And the more you pray, the more you're going to learn and get better at it. And I would encourage you to ask Jesus to teach you to pray in your prayers. So let's go back to the event in Luke chapter 11. They asked Jesus to teach him to pray. To actually pray. Not to know about prayer, but to, to actually pray. And so Jesus comes back and he goes, when you pray, when you say this, I want you to do this. So step number two, the disciples' prayer. I don't have it on the screen, but a lot of you have it memorized. I'm going to read it for you. Verse 2 to 4, Jesus said to them, when you pray, notice it's when, not if, but when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, 
and lead us not into temptation. It's a disciple's prayer. And some of you go, well, no, that's the Lord's prayer. No, the Lord's prayer is John 17. Okay? That's where Jesus prayed. This is the prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. Now, here's the thing on this. I have preached on this. I have talked about the Lord's Prayer. I could easily spend four weeks on what I just read to you. I'm not going to do that, though. Right? What this is is an outline. It's an outline. It's a template. Can we pray this prayer word for word? Yes. Some of you have asked me that in the past. You could pray this word for word. If your heart's not in it, don't pray it. If you're praying it word for word because it's a ritual or it's a tradition and your heart's not in it, I would encourage you not to pray it for a while because Jesus tells us elsewhere that we're not to pray with repetitious words. Right? That our heart needs to be in it. And so you can pray this word for word if your heart's into it and you're actually meaning it. And it's not just like a tradition or a ritual in your life. Go for it. But Jesus isn't giving it to us for that reason. It's an outline. It's a template. And he goes, when you pray, your prayer should follow this pattern. Have these elements in it. And so what are those elements? Well, it's these things. So this is all number two. Right? Bob's getting worried. I passed. I thought it was one, one point sermon. You have four things and sub point number two. Right? Where we go? Not long on this. Because a lot of you know this. So your prayer should start with acknowledging God. Father. Don't start your prayers with, hey, big guy up there, how you doing? Don't do that. You should be slapped if you do that. Now, if somebody doesn't know Jesus and they don't know God at all, then you got to start somewhere. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that. But don't just, like, sometimes we pray and we don't even acknowledge that we're praying to God, that He is our Father. Or we'll call Him by some cheap name. Don't do that. When you pray, start your prayer by acknowledging God, that He is God, the Creator, the Sustainer, that He is Lord, God, Savior, and King. Acknowledge Him. The second, seek His will. I've told you this, I think, one way or another for two weeks now. Prayer is not about you getting God to do your will. Prayer is about you knowing what, what God's will is and how to do God's will. You need to be seeking God's will in your prayer. That's how we pray. We acknowledge Him. We seek His will in all things in our life. And then you ask for your needs, not your greeds. I know greeds is not a word, but I've made the pastoral decision this morning that greeds is a word because it goes with needs, okay? And I throw that out there before one of you said that to me or my wife said it. Ask for needs, not greeds. Bring your needs before God. We all have needs. Prayer is not the time of God, I would really like a trip to the Bahamas. Can you make that happen? He could make that happen, but that's more a one. That's more of being greedy. But you, you ask God about the needs. Lord, I got this need in my life. Can you work there? What about this need and that need? Ask God about your needs. It's okay to ask God about your needs. And then after that, you seek forgiveness. God, I'm a sinner. You know what, God? I did this today. I messed up. I committed this sin today. I committed this sin yesterday. Will you forgive me for my sins? We talked about it two weeks ago. Prayer is the place that enables you to confess your sin so you have a closer relationship, intimacy with the Lord. And so you confess your sin, but prayer is also a place where you forgive others. 
And some of you, you have to start in the, in the early stages of that where you have to wrestle in your prayer life with God with forgiving somebody else because you don't want to forgive them. And so you need to pray about that. God, I know Your Word tells me I need to forgive them, but I don't want to. Can You work that in my life? And so you need to seek forgiveness for your sin. And in prayer, you go, Lord, I forgive them. And forgiving is just letting go. We've talked about this over the years. It's not saying you completely trust them. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. It doesn't mean that. It just means you forgive. You're letting go. And you're forgiving other people for the sins that they have committed against you. And then you seek His leading. God, what is it that You want me to do? How am I supposed to lead my family, my wife as the husband, as the, as the father? What about this job? What about these finances? How do you want me to do this, God? What is your leading for me and my family? For our church. What is it that you want me to do? And so we pray this. So this is how we pray. So how do you pray? You pray, number one. Number two, you follow the template, the pattern of the disciples' prayer. You acknowledge God who He is. You seek His will. You ask for your needs. You seek forgiveness. You give forgiveness. And you seek His leading. That's how you pray. It's really not rocket science, is it? It's not at all. When you bring these things into your prayer life, guess what starts happening? You start talking to God. You start conversing with God. And now you're praying. But pastor... To be honest with you, it gets hard to pray at times. I get dry. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say something. I go to pray and, not, and nothing comes out, Pastor. How do I pray when I'm in those times? I'm so glad you asked. That was, that was a good question that you had this morning. Because that brings us to our third step. Pray the Word. I was sitting and looking at verses 2-4 to four that we just talked on, and I go, it's Scripture. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise because it's in the Bible, right? It's Scripture. But I'm going, Jesus, we, Jesus tells us to pray this way, to pray these words, and I'm going, it's Scripture. So we're actually praying the Bible. I go, that's what we're to do. That's how we pray. How do I pray? You pray the Word of God. Let's be honest. And if you don't want to be honest, I'll do it for us. There are times you don't feel like praying. If we're honest, and we'd be honest in here, we don't feel like praying. Life is too hard. We don't feel like it. I was reminded of when Noah went for surgery this past December. And so we, we got there. I forget what time we got there. Well, we slept in the Ronald McDonald house the night before we got there. I don't know, five? I have no idea. Five o'clock? I think five o'clock. Anyways, it was somewhere around there, right? Um, we're, Amy's not here. Um, but uh, it was like five o'clock, and so we get him into the, the, pre, the, the room that they go before surgery. I was going to ask Abby, but none of you would hear her anyways, uh, what that room is. What? Pre-op. Pre there you go. Uh, I love that there's so many medical people in, in, our, in our church. I just ask questions, right? Abby was telling everybody about some... Uh, never mind. Um, pre-op. And so Noah's in pre-op, and we had like the 47,000 people that had to come in and see him, right? You had anesthesia, you had this person, you had that person, you had that person, that person. And finally, the doctor comes in, right? The doctor, the guy that's actually performing the back surgery. Now, Noah's surgery, we knew going in, 
eight, nine, ten hours. Right? We, we knew this going in, right? And so the lady that was in before the doctor, she really threw a, a curveball at us when you're talking about like chest pumps and things along those lines that have, might have to be inserted. Like, oh, there's a curveball we didn't know about, right? And so while we're sitting there, I'm going, I want to pray for us. There's only the three of us, Noah, Amy, and I. Like, I want to pray for us. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm the dad, and I want to pray, but I couldn't pray. couldn't pray. I couldn't utter the words out to pray. And I have prayed and I have watched people die. I have gone to the bedside of people dying and prayed for them. But at that moment, I couldn't pray. I couldn't get the words out. But God's good. Doctor has the guy doing the surgery. He comes in and he actually, he knew I was a pastor. He's a believer in Jesus and he actually prayed for us. God's good. I couldn't do it. And there's times in your life where you're in that boat where you don't want to pray because of life or you can't pray because of life and you just can't get the, the mm. you, you know what the mm means. You just can't get it out. And so what do you do in those moments? How do you pray in those times? You pray the Word. You pray the Scriptures. And what I mean by that is this. As you read the Scriptures and God speaks to you in, your, in His Word, go, Lord, this is where I'm at right now. This is what's going on. And quote the Scripture back to Him. There's been countless times in my life where I'm reading in my daily prayer, my daily reading, and when God, this is where I'm at. Lord, this right here is my prayer. And I quote the Scripture back to Him. If you don't know what to pray, read the Psalms. And if you find a Psalm and you go, my word, that Psalm is saying what I feel. Take the Bible, stand up with God, I can't pray right now, but this is my prayer. And you read the psalm back to God. And you pray the Word to Him. It's literally okay for you to do that. That where you take your Bible, God, I'm broken, and I'm empty, and I'm dry, and I have nothing. But Your Word is describing where I'm at, what I'm facing, how I'm feeling, and I'm going to bring it to You in my brokenness, and in my pain, and my... Just lost this, and I'm going to bring your word back to you. Pray his word, pray his promises. How you pray is not always with your own words, but with the word of God, but with your emotion and your brokenness and your pain and your sorrow, and hopefully at times your joy behind those words. It's okay to do that. When it comes to prayer, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You need to focus on God with the emotions, thoughts, struggles that you're facing. Even if that means bringing God's Word back to Him. Pray it. So, I told you we had five. We've done three. So how many are left? Two. Two. You're doing good. You're doing good. So how do we pray? We pray. We use the template of the disciples' prayer. We pray the Word of God when we're dry and when we're struggling. 
And then we come to the next one. And I'll be honest with you, I struggle with this one. Shameless persistence. Like, what? Yep, shameless persistence. Verses 5 to 10. Not on the screen, but that's why you got your Bible. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is, is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And so Jesus gives this little parable. He's still teaching his disciples how to pray, and then he gives them this parable. And let me set this up for you before I ex explain the phrase shameless persistent. Jesus tells them, suppose one of you has a friend, and they come to you at midnight asking for bread. Well, that person's no longer my friend, Pastor. They're my ex-friend, right? Right? Bob, Bob's in the boat with me, right? You come to the door asking for bread at midnight, you're going to get a kick to the shins, right? That's pretty much about all you're going to get. Well, you have to remember the culture. Hospitality was huge to them. So much so that we would say it's wrong. Hospitality was huge, but also because of the heat of the day, they would travel at night. So it wasn't uncommon for somebody to show up at somebody's house at this time of day, or night rather, for supplies and a place to rest. It wasn't uncommon to them. To us, it is. And so then Jesus goes on, although the man inside says, don't bother me. The door is locked. So get the picture. Somebody's knocking at somebody's door and it's midnight and they need three loaves of bread. And the guy on the inside goes, go home. Right? The door is locked. So what? Their doors were different than ours. They were a lot harder to lock and put in place for the night. So that's why it's stated there. He goes, the kids are in bed with me. You go, why is that? Because they all slept in the same bed. One room house, big cushion. Everybody slept on the same huge cushion. Better yet, in a lot of the homes, it would be on a raised platform. You want to know why the bed cushion would be on the raised platform? Because you'd bring your animals into the house. The ox, the sheep, the goat. The cats would be left outside, right? Right? I, Abby, I almost said, I was going to say something else, but then I remember I'm getting recorded and we're alive on Facebook, right? So you'd bring the animals inside. So now, picture this. It's midnight. You finally got the kids asleep. The animals have stopped moving around because you threatened them with barbecue the following day, right? Like everybody is settled. And then a boom, boom, boom on your door. I need three loaves of bread. Can I have some? <laughs> Oh, no. But that's what Jesus gives them as a parable. And then Jesus goes, the man on the inside will answer the other man's request and give him as much as he needs. Why? Well, because they're friends. No. Jesus tells us in verse 8, I tell you, the, tell you though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he, he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness. 
Jesus goes, the man on the inside is going to answer the other guy's request because of his boldness. Not because they're friends, but because of his boldness. And that word boldness is very important. Very important. That word boldness means overly bold. It means someone with a lot of nerve. Have you ever said that about somebody? Something they did or said, and you go, man, they have a lot of nerve. That's this word boldness that Jesus uses. It means, right? In, you you, you got to get this. It, it's great. It means urgency. It means annoyingly relentless. Parents, have you ever had a child be annoyingly relentless? Dad, 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 dad. I like, and you just give in because they're overly, annoyingly relentless. That's what this word means. But it also means this, shameless persistence. That word boldness literally means a shameless persistence. Have you ever had somebody just keep coming and asking about something and they have no shame in it? I struggle with this because I hate to bother people. If I call you on the phone, please know that for at least five to ten minutes before that phone call, I sat there going, I hope it's an okay time to call them. I don't really want to call them because I don't want to bother them. They might be doing something and I don't really want to be in, I, I, I don't want to bother them. But then there's other people like, yeah, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm just going to show up at your house because that's what we do, right? There's a shameless persistence in this. Jesus goes, how you pray is this. You pray with a shameless persistence in your prayers. That you pray with a boldness in your prayers. And for some of you, that sounds wrong. And I hear you. But Jesus goes, you need to have a boldness in your prayers. Now your heart needs to be right before God in this, but there needs to be a boldness in this. If you read the Psalms at times, you'll hear David going, Lord, answer me. God, hear me. Listen to me. Where are you? I told you the to call worship, Psalm 55, verse 1. You might need to remember it. Remember? No, Pastor, like three hours ago. Listen to David's prayer. Listen to my prayer. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me. Answer me. Do you hear the boldness in that? It's a shameless persistence where David is coming before God going, God, hear me. Answer me. Don't ignore me. Where are you? And you read that all throughout the Psalms from David. And yet God says that David is a man after his own heart. There is a boldness, a fire, an intensity in his prayers. And Jesus goes, that needs to be in your prayer. That's how you pray. Are your prayers cold? What I mean by that is that there's no shameless persistence. There's no annoying relentlessly in them. Are your prayers, Lord, um, it, it's just me. Um, if you have the time right now, do you, do you mind listening to me? Um, God, I, I know, I know that I know you're busy, but if you if you had the time, could would you could you would you mind doing this for me? Like meaning, that's not a boldness. 
That's not a shameless persistence. Jesus, hear me. Answer me. Save them from their sins. And you keep doing it. That's why Jesus goes on to say in some words that many of you know, ask, seek, and knock. And here's the thing. This does not mean to ask, seek, and knock for anything you want and you'll get it. That's why verses 2 and 4 are so important. Because they qualify these verses. Because we're praying for God's will. So when we pray for anything in God's will and seek that, God will answer that. He's not going to put a new car in your driveway because you go, Jesus, I want a new car, put it in my driveway. He's not a genie. It's not what he's getting across here. You pray for God's will. And one thing you miss in the translation there, Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's an ongoing, it's a persistent, keep doing it, keep doing it. And each one is a bit stronger than the other. Ask. Hey God, you do this? Nothing? Then you seek Him. And if nothing else, you knock. You keep doing it. Some of you have stopped praying about something. Why? Well, God hasn't answered. Maybe it's not time yet. Keep praying until God tells you to stop praying. And be persistent about it until he tells you to stop. A man by the name of D.A. Carson, he said this. He said, if we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence, to rest in his love, to cherish his will. In the Western world, that's you and I, we urgently need this advice. For many of us in our praying are like nasty little boys who ring front doors and run away before anyone answers. We come, God, and then we run. And we don't sit and pray and commune with God and just have this persistency with Him. We we ring the doorbell and we run away. And there's no connection with God. There's no communion with God. And we just sit and keep coming back and persisting God. Now here's the thing. You hear this and and you go, why do I need to annoy God and wear Him down before He answers me one way or another? One, you will never wear God down. Two, you will not annoy him. I know that's really hard for us to understand that God doesn't get annoyed. And third, this is not about wearing God down, but building an intimacy in your relationship with God. Persistence in prayer builds intimacy with God has nothing to do with wearing God down before He goes, fine, I give up. I'm just annoyed by you asking, have what you want. That's not what this is. This is to build intimacy with God. Friends, your greatest need in your prayer life is not the answer to your prayers. It's God. Your greatest need is God. Not the answers you think you need. It's God. And so you need to have this persistency with Him. And so finally we get to five in our one-point sermon this morning. How do I pray? Pray knowing God. Verses 11, 13. Jesus says this, Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? That would be funny. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And what Jesus is saying there is this, 
You're an evil dad. Well, thanks, Jesus. Well, we're all sinners and all evil. And Jesus goes, even if you, in your sinfulness and your evilness and your rebellion towards God, you're going to give a good gift to your child when they need it, even though you're evil, how much more good and gracious and loving is God going to be? And He's all good. You see the contrast there? The play on it? If an evil dad does good things, how much more is a good loving dad going to do? When you pray, do you know who God is? Do you believe and know that God is good, just, loving, all-powerful, that He's out for your good, His glory? For some, maybe you, you think God is nasty and grumpy and withholds from you all the time. That's not true. That's not God. And God is just the opposite in all those things and more. God is never sleeping. He's never not wanting you to come to Him. He's a good Father. He's a loving Father. But so often, when we're growing up, there's times where we'll look at our earthly dads and go, oh, my dad is not good because he won't let me do this. He didn't let me do that. We've all been there. And then years later, when you're matured and you look, look back to that situation, you go, oh, my dad knew what he was doing. He knew more of the situation. He knew things that I didn't know. He was a good dad in that situation, even though at the time I thought he was a bad dad. When you come before God and you know God, you know that He is always a good Father even when you can't see it. Friends, you pray by knowing who God is. That He's good, that He's loving, that He's just. Friends, when these five things are done in your prayer life, guess what's happening? There's a focus, in, there's a focus on the who. You're praying. You're praying. That's what you're doing. You're praying God. You're praying to Him. You're praying His Word. You're seeking Him. You're acknowledging Him. You're looking for His leading. There's a boldness, persistence in your prayer. How are you praying? Are you focused on the Lord? Do you have a shameless persistence of coming before the Lord in your prayer? My prayer for you for us, church, that you and I would become a people, a church of such great prayer that it could be said of us, that we would have this shameless persistence, this boldness and fire within us, that prayer marks our lives. And if prayer marks our lives, everything else that we need will follow, just like it did with the disciples. And in that, God is glorified and His kingdom is built. So that's how you pray. How are you praying? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for today. We thank You for all that You are. Thank You for the gift of prayer that we can come before You and to You. Father, I pray that You'd help us to become a people of prayer. Holy Spirit, I ask that You would work that within us so that you would be glorified more and more in our lives, that you'd be seen in our lives and heard in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.